0: right, here we go. Welcome to another week of Golf Subpar. Colt Nost, Drew Stoltz. Please, what a week for us. We got two wins in one week. We got Billy Ho winning the WGC match play, and our man Joel Damon getting his first ever PGA Tour win down the Dominican.
1: Special record-setting week here for Golf Subpar. I feel like we're kind of hopefully becoming like the reverse Madden curse. You go on Madden cover, you're going to have a dog shit season, come on Subpar, maybe something good happens. But, yeah, we got both of them back-to-back. Shout-out to both those guys for getting big wins. Joel's was uh especially i think impactful for the both of us really because i mean i grew up playing the mini tours with that guy and watched him go through every level mini tour canada corn Ferry, now the PJ tour that was i got a little bit emotional watching that one happen just because i know it all he's been through with the, the health things and with his family and all that too pretty cool to see him get that one done i know he celebrated like a beast
0: yes as he should have probably had a lot of austin cocktails if i was guessing he should there's a guy i mean that's how crazy this game is. He missed seven of eight cuts coming into this week. With His only cut he made was at Pebble, I believe, and he finished T60. So, zero form going in. Zero. That just shows you how good the guys on the PGA Tour are. They can figure it out in a, in a matter of time and then go out and win a golf tournament. I mean, you, he's a guy I feel like he's, in our minds, probably one of the best players in that field. But with the form coming in, I don't know if anybody even looked at him. And there he is at the end of the end of the week, hoisting the trophy.
1: Yeah, it's like our survival pool. We go in every week. I'm trying to find guys that are playing good. I'm staying away from guys that are playing bad. But you just never know in golf. It takes one week, find something on the range. You just go into a week and feel good for whatever it was. But Joel had really no reason to believe that he was going to be the, the winner at the end of the week. And then, sure enough, there he goes and he gets his first PJ Tour win. Also cool that, like, these opposite field events, they don't get all the pub. They don't get all the media attention. Clearly the World Golf uh, Championship, the match play, is going to get all that. But you get the, like, you almost always get the better stories. You get a first-time winner or a journeyman guy that's been out there for forever and finally peels one off or something. it still, it changes their life. I know they don't get the Masters and all the majors and things like that, but two-year exemption and all that the so First time to really take a breath for a lot of these guys that went for the first time and say, okay, my job is secure now for the next two years. That's a huge, huge deal uh, in the world of golfing. And just couldn't be happier for Joel.
0: Yep. It was a huge win for Billy Horschel in Austin. You know, gets a 6 PJ Tour win, moves up to 11th in the Ryder Cup standings. He's 17th in the world now. Um, a guy that has got to be on Captain Stricker's radar now.
1: Yeah, without question. I mean, he moved up to 11th and another guy, the guy he beat that day, Scotty Scheffler, another guy that's got to be drawing some attention. I mean, you look at his path through there. There's no easy path, period. But in one single day, I had to take on in Polter, John Rahm, same day. Two of the, the blue chips for the European team, I think – Stricker was probably taking note of that, and he took every shot from Poulter. Poulter was doing what he does, holding in the long putts, going crazy, and all that. And Scotty just took it in stride, gave it right back to him. And at the end of the day, Poulter posted that video on Instagram or whatever it was. Like, sometimes you just run into a brick wall, mm-hmm. and that was Scotty. The championship match wasn't the golf I know the Cowboy golf we all expected, but dude, seven rounds, every one match play, you're living and dying by every shot. It was blowing twenty plus, gusting up to you know mid twenties, high twenties. That's a hard, that's hard conditions for guys that are on their seventh match of the week. So. Uh, golf wasn't the best, but, um, that was a hell of a week. That match play is fun to watch, man.
0: I mean, who would have thought Scotty Scheffler would be in the finals?
1: Yeah. Who could have, who could have predicted that maybe me we'll get (laughs) to that here in a little bit, but we got to get, we're not going to give away
0: the complete results of what happened because we had a very special moment happen recently. We finally had the hockey bet.
1: Finally, Got it out there. Finally (laughs) happened.
0: We don't want to tell you all how it, how it ended because I think the video is going to be unbelievable. Our team does an unbelievable job here. So I don't want to spoil too much of it, but just let's just give, give me a little thoughts on how you think you performed on the ice this past week.
1: Yeah. Our team's editing the video right now. A lot of footage. Can't wait to see what that looks like, but I'll tell you this, dude, I was legit nervous going into this thing. I, I was fully prepared and I knew going in, I knew what I got myself into. I didn't ever think the bet would happen period. But now that it did, I have the man up. You got to get out there and get in the arena. I was prepared to make a complete ass of myself and based on, we'll see how the video turns out. There's a good chance I did that. But, uh, I'll say this. I, I I left it all on the ice, dude. I competed. I went out there. I did everything I could. Uh, I won't give away the results of everything, but uh, I can hold my head high at the end of this thing. I, I gave it the old college try in that deal. More
0: nervous. Q school or getting on the ice or, for the first time?
1: The ice part was nervous. The skating around the rink part, I was nervous. because like, dude, I've never done it. And even if I catch on in like 10 minutes, it doesn't matter because I'm if, if I bust my ass the first time around, I lose the bet, right? So I was nervous doing that. The peak nerves was when finally after all these years of talking shit i lined up however many yards away from ray whitney i was staring at it i was like what am i doing he was standing there no pads no helmet he was not scared. could not have looked concerned i was sitting there i was like what if i break my shoulder what if, what if? <laughs> i had 18 different strategies i'd contemplate Do i dive at his knees but then i could bust my face Do so i said go high he's gonna level me how low can i go without killing myself a lot of things were in play there but uh, dude it was fun like legitimately fun i also completely underestimated how tired i would be uh after doing all that i mean i took the helmet off by the way the helmet We had to try about six before one fit around Mm -hmm. my fat head Two, every piece of gear I had smelled like the worst clothing you could, like it had been just sitting in a trunk for a month after, after a sauna session, that helmet, the chin strap, Kept sliding up my chin into my mouth. And I mean, it literally smelled like I had my nose inside of a butt. It was the worst smelling <laughs> thing I'd ever smell. I couldn't get it down because I had the cage in. I was like, dude, I'm breathing in butt air right now. How am I expected to hit some pucks with this going on? Mm. But, that dude, it was appetizing. fun. It also took me 30 minutes to get dressed. And Ray pretty much dressed me the entire time.
0: Yeah, well, you did a hell of a job. The video is going to be awesome. I can't wait. Good news is you're here. We I'm didn't a, have, dude, I didn't, I didn't have to find a new co-host.
1: That's the other thing. I'm alive and I got all my faculties.
0: All right. Well, let's get to this week's guest. We got our man Tim Clark, you know, it's, it's the week before Augusta. Here's a guy who finished runner-up at Augusta National, um, collected a few crystals around there for making some eagles. But Tim Clark, South African, President's Cup team member, one of the funniest dudes on the planet, had a blast sitting down with him.
1: Fun to be with him. And also one of those guys, like, he's really – I feel like maybe like a Jeff Ogilvie or something like that. He's super thoughtful with his answer, right? He doesn't just give you the generic, oh, this or that, uh, blah, blah, blah. He'll give you, like, legitimate what he's thinking, whether it's about his career, someone else's, a certain event, whatever it might be. So, it, dude, it's always fun sitting down with with Timmy. Timmy's
0: Timmy's the man, a man who did not over practice
1: in his career. Respect. I know you like that.
0: Respect. You're a big guy. He Tim was the guy that would come home Sunday night after tournaments, chill for a couple days, don't even bring his clubs, and then fly back Tuesday night, pro am, tee it up, let's go.
1: I always wanted to be one of those guys. I was just never good enough to do it. To quote the great Kenny Powers, "Practice is the crutch of the talentless." There you go. That's practice for people with no talent. Timmy's got talent, so he didn't have to. I had to go out there and grind, and still stunk.
0: All right. Well, no, we don't need to say anything else. Here's Tim Clark, Tim Clark on Golf Subpar.
1: All right, we have longtime PGA Tour veteran with us here today. He's the winner of the twenty ten Players Championship, the twenty fourteen Canadian Open and three time member of the international Presidents Cup team. Timmy Clark, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, boys. Good to have you.
1: This
0: has been a long time coming.
2: Well, exactly, yeah. I realize now I I was uh, maybe down here being Players Week and all, and it's been about a year since I spoke with you guys. Yeah, you're and on the,
0: well, we've talked since then, Tim. Well, Next of course day. we've We talked. had you on our series XM Gravy in the Sleeves <laughs> and gave some un- yeah. unbelievable insight into the Players Championship, which we'll get into later, but we want to start at the beginning. Grew up in Durban, South Africa. Picked up a club when you were three years old, obviously, very, very early. At what age did you know golf was kind of Tim Clark's thing?
2: I mean, it was almost right away. To be honest, um, I my brother, who was five years older. Um, so I, I had that old older sibling that I always wanted to try and beat. So even early on in those three, four, five years old in the yard with the plastic ball and the cut down club, um, I could tell I was pretty competitive. Um, but really, I think it was at eight, I was playing a junior event at my club and made a one mm, and um, all of a sudden I got in the newspaper and, and uh, stuff like that, and uh, I quite enjoyed uh, that attention around the golf game, you know, so um, very early on, I, w- I, was, I was pretty hooked and playing almost every day of my life.
1: What made you wait all the way to the age of three to get started? <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's when we moved to the, the the house in my little hometown, which happened to be on the golf course. So, Tell us
1: about Durban. I want to know, like, what's Durban? How big is it? Is golf a big thing there? What's it like growing up there?
2: Well, I mean, I'm from a small town, about 35, 40 minutes outside of Durban, where... I don't know, we've got like 3000 people and everyone in that town works. There's a big uh, pulp and paper factory. So both my parents work there, all my friends' parents work there. So um, kind of a factory town, I guess, but on the ocean with a golf course, you know. So um, we were just very lucky growing up to have that opportunity to be able to play on a golf course. That was really affordable and um, with great weather, uh, you know, it was it was really great and Durban itself seemed like such a huge town to me at at that stage. Um, It wasn't somewhere we went a lot. And um, later on in life, once I was 18 and and allowed to hit the bars, um, Mm -hmm. there was always one trip a week back to Durban to see some of my golfer buddies that lived there and and have a night out. That was great Laws.
0: (laughs) What was your... uh, Do you remember... When was your first trip to the United States?
2: I was... uh, Lucky enough to come in uh, my final year in high school, um, they'd selected uh, two junior players to come and play some some junior events over here. Um, and then part of that group, Rory Sabatini, came with us. So it was myself, a kid by the name of Titch Moore, and Rory. And we came over to play. Well, we didn't really know what was going on. Essentially, <laughs> we were sent on our own with no chaperone. We were all 17 years old. Perfect. Um, stuck on a flight and really didn't know what we were doing. But we played an event in Buffalo, New York, was our first event. Um, We housed with a lovely family there, and I think it was a match play event um, and was the most amazing thing because we grew up on the coast, Bermuda, get to Buffalo, New York, and it's just bent grass everywhere. So. you, you, you know, Rory well enough, we get out there and he was just so excited to pull out his sandwich and hit divots <laughs> at sort of three feet long and spin the ball back <laughs> off the green. <laughs> I was going to let
0: you finish and I was going to apologize <laughs> that you had to hang out with Rory for so long, but whatever. <laughs> but
2: uh, he ended up winning the winning the tournament. He won the thing. So after that they flew us or well, we had flights to Las Vegas, right? Oh boy. To play no chaperone to play in an AJGA event. They didn't even give us spots to the AJGA event. We all had to Monday qualify. So here we are, the three best junior players in South Africa didn't even get a spot in an AJGA event in Vegas. So we took a red eye, (laughs) landed in Vegas at like, I don't know, seven in the morning or six in the morning. Had to go and play the qualifier the same day. And unfortunately, I was the only one to qualify. (laughs) The other two missed. And then... uh, that was our trip. The following week was the world. Was the uh, what's the world? The world junior, junior world, junior world and mm-hmm. in and we miles? and we weren't allowed to play because we were South African. So we came all this way to play one event to Monday qualify and 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 head back. How
1: can you God, not play what the, what the world shit. juniors if it's the world?
2: Well, it was you know we were banned at the time. So this was 1992, It would have been no yeah. ninety three. Ninety three. So yeah, I get it. You know, I mean that that that's what it was, but. Sydney to make us Monday qualify for an AJ yeah. GA yeah, event. You come fun. over
0: for two events and you go back <laughs> and then you come back for college. You went to North Carolina state. Yeah. What was, what's, I mean, you're playing in South Africa. I don't know how much exposure you got to college coaches. I'm guessing maybe they saw you in those two events.
2: Well, That, that was here. it during those two events. I bought my resume of what I'd done and, and handed it out. And um, I do remember playing one of the rounds at that Vegas tournament. And I think Dwayne Dwayne Knight yes was was following Dwayne, and um, coach Dwayne. I had eighteen pars. Never forget it. I had eighteen pars. Needless to say, I never got a call from any coach about coming to play. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I always had wanted to. I mean, out of high school, I really wanted to, and I'd I'd done a fair amount in South Africa. You know, I'd I'd made the South African junior team. I had. Uh, Being a runner up in the South African amateur, actually, when I was 16 years old, I was the runner up in the stroke play and the match play. So that was two years before I even finished Mm -hmm. high school. And at the time, Manny Zerman, uh, Gary Matthews was at Arizona. The animal. Then Rory, actually, after all that got to Arizona and I'd always hoped to come over, but it just didn't happen for me. So for the two years after high school, I just worked in the pro shop at my at my club and practiced and worked on my game.
1: So then how did the offer from North Carolina state come?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a pretty random story too. <laughs> so I'm at home, I'm playing. And I think at this point I had uh, made the Eisenhower uh, team, which is the world amateur team. And we went to Paris and played and lucky enough to play with Tiger in one of my rounds. So that, that was, uh, that was a big deal, but I was back home playing in a in an amateur event in Durban at Durban country club. And, um, Playing with a kid by the name of Peter Matkev- I mean Tony Matkovich. And um I was just telling to him and uh asked him what he'd been doing for the last year. And he's like, Well, I'm playing college golf at NC State. So I said, Man, I've always, you know, I always wished I could have come over and played and we chatted a bit and didn't think much of it. So his dad was um is a famous golf course designer in South Africa. He's designed a bunch of golf courses there, and his best friend was Simon Hobday, who was long-time European Tour player and uh, Champions Tour player over here. So he came over to watch Simon play at the uh, US Senior at Pinehurst, and which Simon Hobday ended up actually winning. Um, During that trip, he spoke to the coach at NC State and said, listen, there's a kid in South Africa who would love the opportunity to come play in the States. I think you would make your team. Uh, you should maybe give him a call and that's really what started it. So Just if you don't get it.
1: that pairing maybe that never happens. Never happens. Cuz is there enough stuff you can play in South Africa? It sounds like you were doing it all, but can you do enough to get noticed from like US coaches in, in South Africa?
2: Kind of because of what some of the other guys had done. You had Manny oh. Zerm and you had Warren Skutter yeah. who went to UNLV who, yeah. you know, Manny went to two US uh two US amateur finals, Warren was an NCAA champion. So Scooter. they could really see, if they had looked at what I'd done, they could have seen that I was good enough, but for some reason, you know, I needed, I, I would have definitely needed a full ride to come. So, you know, who knows uh, why that that was, but um, yeah, it, it just didn't happen at the time. And, and um, luckily I got the opportunity when you, I did. Yeah, you said you always wanted wild. to come
0: over here and play, but still I imagine it's gotta be kind of tough, Packing all your stuff up and be like, yeah. "Okay, I'm out of here. I'm going to the United
2: States." Oh, I also got a couple letters after that f- trip when I was in high school that I could come and try out for the team. You know, that's a little bit of an expense for a kid in South Africa. Who no <laughs> needs doubt. a full ride. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so NC
1: State offers you. If it had been, in, did you know anything about NC State? Other than you had buddies that went there, or would you have gone to any school? I would have I out, gone any. I would have gone
2: anywhere given the chance for sure. But uh, yeah, Coach Sykes called me up. I think it was sometime in October. Um, you know, and I was just quite shocked by the call i, I had no idea that uh, mr Matkovich was going to do this for me and uh, coach sykes said listen i've got a spot has opened up for the uh, spring semester if you want to come it's it's there i mean now nah, i'd been out of high school for two years so You're an old <laughs> i'm like i gotta get i gotta get the sat's done and all that and you know so i, I uh, ran around got all that done that was pretty easy then then we had to convince the school that uh, I'd taken science in high school. So, <laughs> <Had to convince laughs> someone, to how, how do you convince
1: someone that you took well, it in high school?
2: Because I didn't exactly take a science. <laughs> no, I awesome. took home economics. So we said, no, that's science. In, in, uh, and that's, that's a science. Enough, I, you sure. know, boiling an egg is, is, is pretty tough. So, um, yeah, that went through and bought my ticket on Christmas Day. I left South Africa on Christmas Day because that's the cheapest flight. Oh. And when I landed in uh, Raleigh, it was snowing and I'd never seen snow before. Wow. Hello. Welcome, Welcome to, to America. Yeah. yeah. Well,
0: yeah. I mean, you had a really good college career. You're, you know, ACC player of the year. You go on, you win ni- the 1997 USGA Public Links, which gets you into the Masters. Yeah. I mean, do we have any good amateur stories about you being at Augusta National?
2: Well, that was obviously a lot of fun. But just getting back to the day I landed in, in Raleigh in the snow, coach had never seen me play before. So the first thing he did after a 30 hour flight in the <laughs> oh, snow, God. he took me to hit balls. Perfect. Thanks he wanted those. to see what I had. You, you already know? signed. are he, he going to do? <laughs> he was just curious, was I guess. He was impressed, yeah.
0: Also, after 30 hours, you still had it.
2: But he was shocked that I had iron covers on my irons because, Oof. you know, in South Africa, you get a set of irons. Those things need to last you forever, right? So, yeah, I had these iron covers. He's like, I'd never seen these before. And if I had, it's on a player that can't break 80. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he was uh, quite happy to see me hit a few down the fairway. But, um, yeah, Augusta. Uh, quite a few good stories from, from that week for well, sure. We love the good nest. stories. Were you up
1: in the nest? I was in the
2: nest. Um my uh I was able to uh with some of the tickets that I got get rid of the tickets and the, the people bought my parents a flight over oh. to, to watch. So that was the first time my father had been out, out of Africa. He had never left oh, wow. uh, Africa. Um, he'd been Zimbabwean around Africa, but that was the first time he ever left the continent of Africa and it was the only time. Augusta first spot. Yeah. That's and, um, pretty cool. Had my brother Caddy for me and he was at the time living in Northern Ireland. So um, I was lucky enough to be able to get the whole family there and all the people at NC State rallied around. We had a, they had a place to stay. Um, a family called the Cashins whose son uh, was on the team with me when I first got there, they happened to live in Augusta. So my, Brother and parents got to stay with him. And, um, yeah, I stayed up in, up in the old crow's nest.
0: Who, uh, I mean, any notable pairings? How'd you play?
2: Um, Well, the first thing that comes to mind is the most nervous I was all week was on the first tee of my practice round. Because, you know, playing in college, you might have five, ten spectators max, right? I get in the first tee in my practice round on Monday with Gary Player, and all I see is people, oh and I'm God. like, you know, you get the old shakes to get the ball on <laughs> the tee and i'm thinking god oh, don't kill someone um but once that was done the rest of the tournament actually i was kind of dreading it for a few weeks and you know i had some co- college events going into there and i was all i could think about is what's going to happen to me at augusta am i going to just like flip out i don't know why i was thinking that way you know but you're just thinking man am i you know what's going to happen and once i got through that practice round then it actually became quite enjoyable i i i didn't play my best golf but um it was just, it's still to this day, probably the best experience I've had on a golf course over any win or anything else that I've ever done. Those few days playing as an amateur is, is the greatest time of have Did I've you, did you know
1: Gary Player at all going into that when you got paired with him? You know, or, I, I mean for the practice round.
2: We had, no. Um, That's gotta be cool. The interesting story that which I told him is he used to do exhibitions around South Africa. And when I was about six years old or seven years old, he played... Um, in the town where I went to high school, a little golf course, and on one of the holes, he hit it in the bush, and I was the smallest guy there, and I was the only one able to get in there and retrieve <laughs> and retrieve his ball for him. So uh, really I reminded good. him about that, and I, yeah, I still have a card from that day that he that he signed. But other than that, no, I'd not met him or you know. And yeah. uh, oh my god, I
1: can't imagine. That's like a dude yeah. from here playing with Tiger, and his, you know, yeah. like he, I assume he was the guy that you kind yeah. of looked up to yeah. as a kid.
2: Yeah, and and we were we were even paired for the first uh the first round i believe first, oh you were paired with gary the first yeah I, don't know if it was a fir- I think it was just the first round it was the first round they repaired after the first day back then and uh oh. he actually made the cut i think he was like 64 years old and he he made the cut that year. that's wild. yeah that i don't know they
1: repaired either after the first day I, yeah um yeah they
2: did uh, i didn't realize i remember, that
0: realize I remember that either. the year uh i believe faldo only Played with Tiger in 97 the first day,
1: yeah. One day, because mm-hmm. oh, my day? second, my second,
2: yeah. My second round, I played with Craig Stadler and Scott Simpson. Oh, there you go. And that was another one of the greatest moments of my life. We, uh, me and my brother would watch Augusta at two, three in the morning when it was on, yeah. you know, My our parents didn't mind, so uh, Craig Stadler was always a favorite of ours, you know, and he always played well there. If you ever remember in those eight in the 80s and that there's always the same guys in the league, Craig Stadler, Tom Kite, Norman, you know, so I get to play with him on, on, uh, on Friday. And he, uh, I think he misses a, like an eight footer on the first for birdie. And the next thing we get to the ninth hole and he's like four or five under par and my, me and my brother just looking at each other like, wow, I mean, how's this guy? Yeah. And, um, He's got about a four footer for for birdie at Augusta, and you know that on, on that green, the crowd is right on the green. I mean, everyone's very close, <laughs> and he misses the putt, right? And he takes his putter, and he hits the ground, and he puts like a putter mark in the ground. Oh boy! So now we are like, oh, you know, we my brother, we look at each other, and we think, oh, he's going to go, he's going to go fix that, right? Then he takes the putter. And hits it the other way and puts like an X in the green. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That sounds sound like Craig. And no, now we're like, and now we're just thinking, oh my God, did you see that? So anyway, he taps in, he fixes it up and he goes up to the 10th tee. And there they've, they've still had the water cooler with the, with this cone cups, yeah. you know, that oh, come yeah, out. yeah. yeah. And he rips a cup out, but like 50 cups come out and they're blowing <laughs> all over the tea box. <laughs> and eventually he just kind of looks at us and he smiles. You this know, isn't my a, best
0: moment, guys. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, but he was having—he kind of was having fun. You know, he looked at us and he smiled and you know, he could see he, he thought it was pretty funny. You know? and
0: When you're a past champ, you can do that. Yeah. yeah.
2: And then walking, this is something that stuck with me too. Walking down that fairway, I, I asked him, um, how much do you play and practice anymore? He says, I don't practice at all. And I guess I took that to heart. I was going to say, that's the <laughs> Tim Clark. We'll get to that in a second. I actually believe that. Yeah, that's, too. That's, that's, that's the way you live. I mean,
0: it's awesome. But you you turned pro later on that year in 98. You get out on the tour 2001. I mean, pretty quickly. You had success on the now Corn Ferry Tour. Mm. But you went through a long stretch where you were the best player to never get a win. Mm. You made the most money of anybody on the PGA Tour before you got a win, before you finally broke through at the players. But before that, how much did like not winning weigh on you? And did you ever get tired of being like, People, the obviously the media being like, uh, Tim, are you ever going to get this first win?
2: Yeah, it was tough. I mean, when I came out, listen, your first year out, all you're trying to do is keep your card, mm-hmm. right? Unfortunately, for me, my very first year, I blew out my wrist surgery. So, at at in Hawaii, so literally one of my first events. So, my first real year on tour was under medical. So, you don't know when you're getting internals. Yeah. It was difficult. I barely kept my card, right? So that was a win to at that point I wasn't thinking about winning tournaments I mean I'm just trying to get my feet wet and uh, but then each year after that it, it got easier and easier and even early on my second third year I felt like I had the game to win you know and and listen sometimes you have close calls and and you throw tournaments away sometimes you just get beat and that just seemed to be what was happening with me um through all that I was able to win a few European events, which I hardly ever played over there, but I, I played. I won a couple of South African Opens when I was at home in December on time off, I would play, and then, you know, I won the Scottish Open one year prior to the British Open, oh. um, which is a big event in Europe, and had, you know, oh, yeah. Full and Ernie and Ratif and all the Darren Clark, Lee West, they were all in that field, so there was a big tournament. So. You know, it wasn't like I'd n- not won at all. Yeah. At least I'd won somewhere else as a pro. Um, but certainly on tour, yeah, I got to a point where I'm like, well, this just might not happen. You know, nine years deep. Um, Eight you seconds. You know, there, I mean. and and a few health things along the way. You're thinking, gee, you know, is, is this going to happen? And um, even that year of the players, I think I'd had a second earlier on in that year. I think maybe Palm Springs or somewhere. Um, but... I knew i was getting close i was working the right things it it, it had nothing to do with my game it was all up up in my head you know it was all um trying not to think about that win and and finally at the players it it all just clicked you know
1: yeah and you like people point to that 2010 players as like your first win but like you said you'd won all over the world prior to that so it wasn't like you didn't know how to close you just hadn't done it on the pj tour yet when you finally did it at the players was there something like that you'd learn, like you can put your finger on, that you learned over the time of being close so many times? Or was it just a matter of like, hey, that, that Sunday, it all just went my, went my way? No,
2: I learned quite a bit. I mean, because I was struggling with my game going into the players. And I took when I struggled, I didn't hit the range. I just put the clubs away. <laughs> Respect. <laughs> so two weeks, I had two weeks off. I didn't do much. And then that weekend before the players, I went to the range and just a minor little thing in my golf swing, I, I raised my hands up, felt good of the Monday of the players, I did a, a fundraiser in Raleigh at NC State. It, it just happened to be the day of their fundraiser. I was not playing great. I'm like, Ugh, yeah, I'll just go there for the Monday. You know, next day, flew to the players, played nine players. holes, played nine holes on Wednesday, yeah, just, just so around. my caddy could hit the shot on the par three. Um, <laughs> but my game actually okay. felt really good. I knew I'd found something because I was hitting great. And I even found something with a putter. So but it was more just the attitude uh, that Sunday. I tried not to think about winning. I really tried to stay in, because I was playing well, I tried not to think any further ahead of that. I said, you know, your routines are good, you're swinging good, just stay focused on what you can do, which was which was just that, you know, and um, that's what happened to that putt on 18. I mean, I, I just felt ready to make that putt, whereas early on in the year in Palm Springs, I had a same length putt to make a playoff, and I hit a horrible putt. Um, But that time, I just didn't let the moment get the better of me, really.
0: Well, let's talk about, obviously, that weekend. You shoot 66-67 to get the job done by one over Robert Allenby, I believe. Mm. But let's talk about, because you've told us a great story about when you got to 17 on Sunday, which (laughs) obviously everyone knows the island green at Sawgrass can do some funny things to your body. Take us through that walk from 16 green over to 17 when you're in contention to win the players.
2: Yeah, I mean, the whole time you're doing that, you're trying not to look at the green. You're just trying (laughs) to, like... I even watched Greg Norman talk about this the other day, you know, you're just looking in front of you, trying to get one foot in front of the other. Right. Um, but eventually you're going to get to the T and you can't avoid it anymore. Right. So, um, you can't say someone else come hit that for me. Skip, (laughs) So I I took, I I could tell I was nervous. I mean, I could tell I was nervous. And so I started to really talk it out with Steve Underwood, my caddy, Mm -hmm. you know, yardage. I probably asked him five times what the number was, you know, and then I pulled nine on and I probably asked him four times. Is this the right club? Is this the right club? But then it hit me when I tried to tee the ball up. I was like, oh, man, Uh, like my head felt heavy. I felt like I had like a giant bubble head or something like I was going to fall over. Right. Um, So I get it in the ground and I look back to the green and I'm like, well, I'm not sure what needs to move first to get the swing going? Right, <laughs> It's always a good feeling. <laughs> is it, is it my hands? Do I, I do, do I, do I started with my hips? How, how do I normally do this? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so standing over the ball and I'm still feeling a little bit like this. I'm like, mm, what's, what? I just remember saying you've probably hit, you know, however many thousand nine irons. You're probably one of the best players inside 150 yards on to it. Just, trust that whatever you do is going to work. Like, don't think anything else. I mean, if I had had a swing thought, you might, you might still it. be there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So don't I just, throw up. That's the swing thought. I just, once I got the club, I just, I just swung, I just started to move the body. And it was one of those swings. I don't remember that yeah. swing. I cannot tell you how far I took it back. What happened? I've seen the video and it actually looked like a normal swing and a normal shot, but it was like an outer body experience. Right. And, Kind of went where I aimed, just left of the flag, and and uh, yeah, it worked out. But then, fast forward to eighteen, which really is an extremely tough tee shot. Mm. I mean, under easy conditions, not with anything on this on the line, it's a nerve-wracking tee shot because you know you go left, you got problems. And um, I think because of the experience I'd had had on seventeen, the one on eighteen was just slow motion. It it. I was going to hit it up the right side with the driver. I figured if I try and I'd done this before at the Colonial 18 needed a party win, took a three wood, hit in the rough. So I wasn't going to make that yeah. mistake. I mean, I, I drive the ball straight, hit the driver. I hit the driver everywhere. What do you do? So I pulled the driver and I knew I wasn't going to bail right. I said, I, I have to hit this down the fit. If I go right, I'm making bogey. I'm going to lose. I'm like, it's not an option. I don't. I'd rather hit in the water than hit in the right rough actually at that point. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'd committed to hitting it down the right side of the fairway, get over the tee shot, take the club back, and it was literally slow motion. I, I got the club to the top, and I'm like, man, I feel really good. I know exactly what's going on. Because 17 was such an out body this was the most, like, I don't know if you want to call it a zen swing I ever had, but I decided at the top, I'm going to just draw this thing down there, <laughs> dropped it on the inside, and it was into the breeze, my 106 swing speed at the time. <laughs> and I hit it 300 plus yards into the breeze on Adrenaline's 18. Adrenaline's a beautiful yeah. thing.
0: Yeah. You made an eight-footer for par yeah. to get the job done. Yeah. I mean, more nervous over the eight-footer or on 17?
2: Oh, no, way more on 17. No, that 17 prepared me for 18. The fact that it was so brutal on 17 yeah. and I was able to perform... It just totally relaxed me for 18.
1: 18 felt like a reprieve. Yeah, it was seven, like... Which is strange because it's still one of the hardest closing holes. Yeah. But I guess it. But it for relative some, to 17. For some
2: reason, do. it had done something in my head just to completely calm me down and get me out of thinking about winning. And I could just go back to the routines that I was doing for the whole week starting on Thursday.
1: When you watch it now, do you watch these guys that are leading on 17 and being like, I know exactly what's going Because I don't care who you are, whatever you've done in golf, you get to that tee shot mm. with a lead at the players, you're going to be a well bit. i'm just
2: amazed knowing what i experienced and went through that you haven't seen way worse shots than what you have mm, yeah. you know if a guy has missed it um it's only just a lot of times it's a ball hit the green and bounce over sergio hit what he thought was a good shot in 13 against tiger and it it came up like a foot short yeah. you know but I'm like, it's quite easy to chunk this thing fifty oh, yards into the out. water,
0: hit that tree over there. right. Yeah, yeah.
2: Hit the pipe. I mean, no, I don't right. know. So I'm amazed that most guys still hit pretty good shots there. It's
1: really do you crazy. club it down on that tee, knowing that like your juice has got to be going as much as it's ever been going before. It's got to be a hard, hard hole to, to club down. Yeah, yeah, if you club down, be like, because people do it. I've talked to guys that do the same thing on sixteen at Phoenix. Like, dude, I'm so, oh. everyone's so fired up. All the caddies say, take one club less.
2: Yeah, I mean, because you do, you hit it so much further. Yeah, I mean, like you, you do, talk but, about your drive. But I, I, I'm trying to think my number, but it, it was just a perfect nine iron for me, so, um, I I couldn't go away from that. I I I had to just make sure that I didn't really try and kill it.
0: It's hard to rely on adrenaline there because you know, if I mean, if you yeah. think, you, okay, I'm going to play for it here, but yet if it's not there, then I come up short and there's water there. Phoenix, yeah. it's like, oh, I might get booed, but no yeah. big deal. Yeah. But I got to tell you, obviously, you got your first PGA Tour win there. But did you know about some of the other stuff that happened for the first time that week? Nope. Well, for the first time in tournament history at the Players, a spectator was arrested and forcibly removed from the course. Do you know about this? No. Yeah. An intoxicated fan who was screaming and being disruptive refused to listen to course officials, who then they called the cops. The man resisted arrest and ended up being tased. Hmm. Also, I believe it was Saturday night, two people drove a car onto the 8th green. And also, Tim Clark got his first PJ Tour win. Among those other things, what a what oh, a tournament! It's a big misunderstanding. It was
1: it's a wrong turn. Yep. Map Quest, unbelievable. You got you
0: got didn't your way, and
2: someone got tased. Yeah, at least I didn't hit an attire mark on eight. Then,
1: <laughs> yeah, they said the green was a damage, which I don't understand how the hell that happened. You don't you don't see these things when you're teeing off at two twenty two in the yeah, afternoon. They fix
0: that. This stuff up. happens in the
2: morning. Yeah, when you and going those greens are pretty hard. They were pretty much like tarmac anyway. So,
0: is that a place that you wish like? I mean, almost every week on the PJ Tour could be like, just because it sets up so well for a guy like you?
2: I guess, yeah. I mean, it it is one of those courses that doesn't particularly favor the the bummer all the time. Um, It wasn't always my favorite place to play. I mean, until until I won there, I really hadn't played very well there. But then we had the date change, and that week the course played firm. So being on top of my game in firm conditions is always an advantage, Ideal. you know, yeah. Um, you, if you're hitting your spots, which I did that week, I hit a lot of fairways. And then my iron game was literally on point. I mean, I could hit my spots and that's what you have to do in the firm conditions. So there were other courses that I tended to play a lot better on, like your colonials, um, even Hawaii. Yeah. Uh, I used to play really well, but that was similar to home with the Bermuda and the wind and everything. But um, yeah, the players, it, it is great because it's a huge championship that, kind of can reward everybody yeah I
1: like it. well let's talk about that a little bit because you're a guy that clearly did it with his accuracy with his iron play yeah. and things like that now all the rage is going to distance and you see him bryson doing it It constantly comes up ball rollback club rollback things like that what's what's your take on all this do you want to do you like where the game is do you think there anything needs to happen or are you cool with what you're seeing
2: you know i feel like it might be too late to roll it back i wish something had been done 20 years ago when when all of a sudden they could tell the ball was starting to go a lot further you know and it's around 99, 2000 when that kind of happened and we all could tell, I mean, we all went to that equipment that picked you up that other 15, 20 yards. I mean, it was dramatic. It's a big difference. Um, Since then, it's gradually gotten better, I guess. But and obviously we could talk about the athletes, they they are getting better. But listen, the equipment has made a huge difference. Um, So I don't know if you can roll it back, uh, unfortunately. Um, Maybe they're going to have to if everyone gets that strong and big. Maybe they have to. But if you look historically, every great player or number one player in the world has been the best driver in the world. You go back to Jack Nicholas, longest driver at the time and very straight. Norman, long and straight. Tiger, especially Tiger, 99, 01. Not any I mean, he was crazy all these, long yeah, all these guys. and straight. Listen, then he maybe lost his accuracy a little after that, but everything else was so good he could stay number one for another 15 years. Um, then you've got Rory Long, Dustin Long, Brooks Long. You know, these guys, Justin Thomas Long. So guys that are going to win multiple times and dominate for periods of time are all going to be long hitters. They, it's always been that way.
0: We, we were talking about Bryson on the way over here and like what he did at Bay Hill, like number six, where he's mm. cutting the corner and you're like, well, you know, he's, he has to hit it on the button. If he, if he misses it, he's going to be short in the water. So yeah, yeah. it's still impressive what he does at the speeds he's doing it
2: at, Yeah. I mean, if, if, if everyone could do it, they would be. Right. Exactly. So it's not easy to do. Um, the one thing I would have liked to have seen is the driver not being so big and so easy yeah. to hit. Like the driver has turned everyone into a pretty good driver. Whereas in the days of Greg yeah, and and uh, Jack, they were. it was hard to hit a driver. I mean, a, a wooden club was small. So the guy that could hit it hard and on the button had a, ridiculous advantage. Right now it's just somewhat of an advantage because of the distance aided because everyone can hit a driver.
0: Yeah. I miss it was magnified. Exactly. Yeah. So
2: I I more so than doing anything with the ball, I would see them rather see them do something with the head of the driver. Make it smaller, maybe different material. I don't know. But um make it a make it harder to hit the driver. Because it's just it's easy now to go as hard as you want and still hit a sweet spot the sweet spot's huge
1: yeah or at least the de- de- incentivize guys to swing as hard as they possibly can knowing if i hit this off the toe or the hill like it's all designed to still yeah. go there's not there's not as much penalty and, for and still
2: hits. your guy like bryson is still going to be the longest hitter yeah, because I'll, he's exactly. got the fastest swing speed and he's working out i mean you're not taking that advantage away from the guy the longest hitters are still going to be the longest hitters but 100 you're just going to make it more challenging for the field to swing it that hard and then what happens? You bring all these golf courses back into play. Listen, it is exciting to watch him hit it over the water there, right? You want to see what happens. Yeah, of course. Um, but I think that's always going to be there. at some element. I mean, that was there when Nicholas was playing, you know, driving par fours, or or even uh, Arnold Palmer at Cherry Hills when he drove yeah. it. On, he drove it on a par four in the mm-hmm. first hole of a U.S. Open. You know,
0: I think if people just start having fifty-seven yards into a par five, it just might get a little ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a little. That could be a little tough. You're going to have to change it. Well, that to a par
2: four. Listen. Um, John Daly tried it. It just he made a 13 when he tried. 18, or 18, 18. That's an eight, I mean, That's an 18, no big deal. Could have been a 17. <laughs> quick. Would you do anything
1: with like the course setup? Do you think that if, if this is the big argument, guys are hitting it too far, course setup wise? How do you how do you rein it back?
2: Listen, I mean, is there those, anything you can do. Those guys that set up the courses have been doing it a long time. They know what they're doing. But the one thing that bugged me when I played is when you'd go to a golf course where the course was its tightest between 250 and 280. <laughs> yeah. And then it would open up to a runway or the at,
1: bunkers end at two eighty, and it's which like, happened.
2: Yeah. I, I don't want to name courses and that, but uh, there was courses like that where it was just very frustrating because we had to hit it up this narrow little alleyway. Whereas the long guy, the guy that could carry it 300 had no trouble. So you, we were just getting eaten up in courses like that. So if you are going to narrow it up, we'll narrow it up further down the hole. agree. Uh, I mean, listen, these guys, a long hitter is always going to have an advantage. I mean, Listen, I would rather be in the rough with a sandwich than back in the fairway with a hybrid all day. But that's not my game. You're pretty so, good with hybrid. so I've got to make sure that I'm in the fairway. Yeah. You know, but yeah, you can't you've got to maybe tighten up those areas further down the golf course. Growing the rough, does that really help? I mean, you know, Bryson went around Wingfoot and driving everyone right was knee.
1: missing yeah. those fairways i think if you shrink it up where the longest guys hit it and open it up a little bit yeah. where normal guys hit it there's all of a sudden maybe and you it, can level the plane and field. i'm not even
2: saying make it narrower where they're hitting it just make it the same don't let it widen up and and get easier the closer you get to the green it needs to get harder i totally agree to with green. you
0: tim i like that let's make it narrow <laughs> up there with, shrink it all where shrink it all but we got to get to something that i know is a highlight of your career and that's the president's cup i mean you played on three different teams you were the Bulldog. First off, I, I didn't realize you played on three different teams and you never set out a match. Yeah, You played all 15 and you were part of one of the most historical President's Cups <laughs> um, where over in South Africa, it was actually ended in a tie. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. That
0: week had to have been unreal for you playing at home and then having Tiger and Ernie battle it out in a playoff yeah. to see who got the job done. What was that like?
2: Yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. I mean, probably next to my master's experience as an amateur, that would probably make mm-hmm. second as a whole week and an experience but uh yeah my first match ernie is always very good with taking in the rookies under his wing and, and playing with them and obviously i was the, well, i wasn't the youngest on the team adam was on the team i think he was 19 at the time um but yeah ernie said listen i'm gonna i'll play with tim in the first round so we play tiger and charles howell
0: perfect here we go
2: and on the first tee you know you're meeting the presidents and and every you know it's 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 quite a thing but um again i enjoyed those stages like especially like a match play it really got me fired up and also knowing that i had a partner like ernie playing tiger it it just got me geared up to play and first hole um i can't remember yeah it was a was a best ball i hit the flag on the first hole oh. with a nine iron to like this we make birdie um the third hole i hit it like three feet and then ab- about the fifth or sixth hole i hit the flag again and played unbelievable and we won the match like five and four yeah. and um ernie you know was full of praises which was was nice because yeah. at the time ernie's a, a hero of mine um he's won several majors already and to think that i'm in that position playing with him in a tournament like that um after really only been on tour for about a year well, so it was just a huge sword. And you performed at an unbelievable yeah. level. Yeah. Especially
1: against Tiger. But take us take us to when Ernie and Tiger start to go into the into the playoff. I mean, that has to be probably the most immense pressure when one guy is representing one the international and beat America. And what what's the atmosphere like as the both teams you're sitting there watching these guys knowing like the cup lays and just each of these guys' hands?
2: Yeah, I mean there's not one other player on the team that wanted to be in of that course. situation. Yeah, I mean, I mean,
1: yeah. who, who wants to play? Not me, Ernie.
2: <laughs> I mean, we were watching it. I mean, I felt bad. I was almost sick to my stomach yeah. watching, watching them go at it. Tiger was probably loving it. Uh, I don't know about Ernie, but you know what he performed? He looked like he was loving it, but it was like almost sickening. It, it like it, it didn't seem fair. Right. Because whoever lost it, I mean, what a burden, you know? And, um, it was getting dark. I mean, it was really dark and they finished on that par three. Mm -hmm. Um, And Tiger, I mean, he made a putt you just, you cannot make. And I mean, the amount of times he did that, but that was the most difficult putt I think I've ever seen him make. It was, it broke two ways down side hill, dark. I mean, incredible. And then Ernie had to get up and make like a six footer or in, so in the dark straight uphill. Yeah. I mean, which is just as hard because yeah. now it's a straight pipe with everything on the line. I, you know, so I'm glad it ended the way it ended because it wouldn't have been fair on anybody for it to Man, And to come out anything.
1: the next morning and be like, all right, we're going to do it again. No. And one of these guys is going to end up losing the cup for their team. Like that, that's just too much for Yeah, it, it made no sense.
2: So I, I remember like when that part went in, we all like huddled around, uh, Jack and Gary and one of the officials says, uh, well, if it ends like this uh, the us is going to keep the cup okay? he's like no we will play <laughs> 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 we will play bullshit yeah. so i think i think in the end like uh, they just kind of mutually agreed okay we're going to we're going to share the cup yeah, yeah but being That's a veteran a fair to, way. Yeah, yeah. yeah being a
0: veteran of those teams i mean the presidents cup has been a little lopsided over the years yeah. obviously with the usa but i mean last year down in australia it was it was a very very close battle But if you were in charge, is there anything you would change to like maybe make it just a little bit more competitive?
2: Well, for years, I mean, the guys have been trying to get it just back to the same format that they play in the Ryder Cup. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's less matches, so you can sit guys. And, you know, when you have a deep team, which America always has, you can play everybody, you know. And sometimes with the European team or, or the international team, you know, you you need to sit guys. It's just, the depth just isn't quite there. And even in years when we on paper had a better team, you know, there was a couple of years there where we had Vijay, Ernie, Retief, Mike, Weir was playing good. Angel Cabrera had been winning majors. (coughs) I mean, but still in, at the end, you had guys like me, you know, I wasn't as good as the 12th guy from, from the America. I mean, you know, 12th guy in America is in the top 20 in the world, you know, and, I would have been 50, 60 in the world. So, um, yeah, I think if they just maybe went on the the point schedule of, of the Ryder cup, it would make it more competitive.
1: And I, I makes total sense for in the president's cup for the international side, being that America is so deep. And like you said, our Mm. 12th guy might be in the top 20. I actually contend that I like the president's cup format better for a Ryder cup being like, all right, you got all your guys, let's play them all. And also, you get to put. Out, you're the captain of the of the Europeans. You put out a guy. I put out a guy. It seems like we get the better matchups and the matchups we want to see more in a Presidents Cup than we do a Ryder Cup, where you just have to guess. Like, yeah. all right, what do we think? Are they going to front load it or back load it, or what are well, they going I, to do? I agree with you on that. How like, I love that. You about the Presidents if, Cup.
0: If we have the the honor, we pick a team and then you match it, and then yeah. you throw a team because then you get the big one. like and especially strategy. on the singles yeah. on Sunday. Yeah. Like you want. Rory playing Patrick Reed or Rory playing Tiger, stuff like that in the in the Ryder Cup. I would love to see something like that. There is a
2: there is good strategy in in how you can pair against certain pairs, but then you've got to also look at the strategy in the Ryder Cup, like how those guys can sit players, and there's a lot of strategy involved there too. And and um, you know, I just don't know if it would be as exciting the the present uh, the Ryder Cup if if it was to change. I mean, obviously it's Created so much theater over the years, the way it is. I mean, yeah. you would never change that, right? But you would maybe look at changing the Presidents Cup.
1: I love, yeah, the Presidents Cup maybe change it. I love the way that you put out a team. All right, we'll match you as yeah. opposed to like, all right, give us your card. Yeah. You give us your card. And we'll that kind of does make out. sense.
2: Yeah, I don't know why they don't do that in it's, the writing Cup. And, and, and it's like
1: great like, for TV too when they go yeah, in there and everybody's totally. sitting around talking with Ogilvie about it, and he's like, "Oh yeah, dude, we sit down and we do our thing." But you know, it's, we do then, our then it's, it's kind of
2: like a game of poker with them, you know? Yeah. It's like well, are you going to bluff with a guy out first? So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot, uh, there's still a lot going on, even though you can't match up a pairing with another pairing. It's, it's your strategy before you even go into that room as to how you yeah to Are they going to front load? All right, then we'll front yeah. load. Are they going to back, yeah. we'll back? And but, you oh. don't know until the end. So, I mean, I think that kind of makes it that intriguing too, in in the in the Ryder Cup. Yeah, in mean, the
1: Ryder, I just feel like you see Tiger playing mean Tiger in his heyday sit playing some guy that like isn't you know might be the tenth guy on the European team. You're like, man, I would love to see him play Rory or yeah. Lee Westwood at the time or Uriel. something like that. It's
2: happened. I mean, you, you, if you've looked at, uh, I wasn't at the Presidents Cup in Canada, but you know Tiger played Mike. There you go. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, Harding Park, which I was at, Why had just beaten Tiger uh, earlier that year in the p j Well. Tiger played yeah, Y yeah. and that's where he got his winning point for the, for the team. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, th- you certainly can make for more interesting matchups that way. But the Ryder Cup, the strategy of it all is is is, is pretty fun. I that Tiger
1: Mike Weir matchup like changed the course of Canadian golf for some guys. We have some of the young guys on our radio show. I think they're like, dude, that match was one mm-hmm. of the reasons Mike mm-hmm. Weir doing that was one of the reasons I got into golf. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Yeah.
0: You mentioned the Harding Park Presidents Cup. You had the chance to play against Anthony Kim mm-hmm. in a match.
2: Did yeah. I? I see, that's the problem. <laughs> tell us you everything. Know, you know, you tell everything. <laughs> I wanted to get your thoughts
0: on Anthony Kim because we yeah. both say, like, arguably one of the best yeah. we've ever played with, other mm-hmm. than Tiger. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously,
1: if you don't remember, you don't have yeah, much thought I, on him. I mean, Anthony what, what, I played a what few stands out then. about that day, Tim? No.
2: I, I, what day were, I mean, who was his partner? I don't remember. Yeah. I just saw you played Anthony Kim and I wanted Did to get I? your
1: thoughts, but never mind
2: now. Just delete And that, that was part. the
1: year that he supposedly came in sideways at two in the morning. That was Drew Stall saying that. I have no idea what you're talking about. No, that's just the story. I'm
2: just Because I do remember playing full that week. Uh, I can tell you, the I, I played with VJ and we no.
0: keep talking. I'll tell you exactly how you played. I'll oh, I got a anyway. question about the
1: president's cup while we look all this up. Tell me about the, after the matches end, right? Like in the Ryder cups, I've been told like the U S and the Europeans will come together and party and stuff like that. Do you do that on the, in the president's cup? Like afterwards, do oh, you yeah. guys all hang out together and, oh, yeah. and get yeah. after it a bit.
2: Yeah. Typically in the That's president's sweet. cup, win or lose, that. which has mostly uh, been lose over the, the right. last few years. Um, we always got together and, and had a good night, you know, in, enjoyed that. it. Um, and, uh, every now and then some of the American guys might come over, but, uh, you know, obviously when we, are there, we want to win. I mean, it's always the goal, uh, especially when you've had so many years of coming close and not doing it, but, uh, yeah, come the end of it, we, we all able to let our hair down and enjoy it. Who's
1: who's the MVP of post game parties in your three year, uh, three-year member of the as a, uh, International President's I'm Cup about- team. <laughs> Don't be afraid to say you. If it's, it's like you, say it. you. Get,
0: get jiggy with it over here.
2: Yeah, we... You get uh, jiggy with it? I mean, we've had some good ones. I mean, <laughs> I'll tell you, uh, one, it was during the tournament, and it wasn't a wild party, but we were getting beaten pretty handily in South Africa through a uh, couple days, and uh, Ernie had a barbecue at his... A braai, as we would call it. Bride. at his house on, uh, I think it was a Friday night. And um, we didn't party crazy, but, you know, we just all got together, bride, had a little bit of wine, relaxed. And the next day we went out and we swept the Americans. And then we heard the story that that night they'd all been homesick. I mean, they'd been out of America for three days. I mean, <laughs> and they all wanted to Be go home to they missed know, oh, <laughs> Africa is so scary. <laughs> so they all went to mcdonald's (laughs) oh shit i just made that. they did there you go and the next day after they got swept i heard from one of the guys that jack was so mad he's like you guys want to go out and eat like you're gonna play like you know so yeah they got the they got chewed out for that no more mcdonald's (laughs) jack said no (laughs) moth that's wild well to answer your question
0: about the anthony kim you you played him with uh you played against anthony kim and phil mickelson on thursday Mm hmm. What happened? It's all ringing
2: a bell now. I can see it coming back.
0: You and Mike Weir, you lost three and two.
2: Mm. Yeah, I don't remember that one. Can't believe you (laughs) couldn't overpower (laughs) him. Yeah, of course you don't.
0: But I mean, I'm sure that's got to be just unbelievable to be in, you know, team atmosphere when you're such an individual sport. It's got to be a lot of fun. But we could talk about that all day, but we got to get to the E9 at some
1: point. We might as well hit it. You know what I mean? I know, you you
0: do know a I know you're a big fan of the show. You watch.
1: Nice. Yeah, it's huge.
0: All right, before we get to the Emergency Nine with our man, Tim Clark, we've got to tell you about Austin Cocktails. Salise, so we both like to get amongst it, and this these things are delicious. 12.5% ABV, which means?
1: Alcohol by volume. Exactly. No big deal.
0: Yeah, all those other seltzers, you know, they got 5%, 7%. This 125 you can get amongst it. Tastes like a true cocktail, not a lightweight seltzer, And, and because I like it. Low carb, low calorie.
1: Yeah, dude, it's friendly on the fitness. You know what I mean? A lot of good things come in small packages, Colt. You know what I'm talking about. So don't be fooled by the size. These things pack a punch. Perfect for the golf course. Perfect, perfect for the golf course. Perfect for sitting at home and getting amongst it. Whatever you want to do, these things are are spectacular. And like you said, not a little lightweight seltzer. It's not one of these watered-down drinks you get at the golf course. These things bring some noise.
0: Yep, perfect to celebrate a PGA Tour win with. Correct. All right, well, go check them out. Austin Cocktails. Here's Tim Clark in the Emergency Nine. So we got the emergency nine, nine questions to get to know you even a little better. And we ask this to all of our guests. Okay. This is the most important question. There's a movie being made about the life of Tim Clark. Mm-hmm. You can pick any da- actor, dead or alive. Who's it going to be? am oh by To play you.
1: Yeah, there's
2: not many that good looking, but um, Man, it's a tough one.
0: Don't go in front.
2: Uh, Rob Schneider. Rob, Rob Schneider. Schneider. Wow. <laughs> Okay. The water boy. <laughs> yeah. He's about my size. What did he say in that
1: movie? What was his little line in the water boy movie when he popped up? You can do it. Yeah, you, do you it. can do it. There you go. All That's right. Rob Schneider. I wouldn't have guessed that. I said Leo actually for you because he's the only guy I know that can do an accent like where you're from in blood diamond when he did it. I thought that was fantastic. <laughs>
2: well, yeah, was
0: I went with little smaller guys. I had Joe Pesci and Danny DeVito for another reason, which we'll get mm-hmm. to here in a little bit.
2: Well, I mean, Rob Schneider is like five, five. Yeah. He's not the biggest. They're dude. All
1: small. He's not the biggest dude.
2: All right.
0: We'll go and to the next got a good one.
2: sense of humor. So
0: yeah, yes, you do have a great sense of humor.
1: All right. Next one. Name your big ping pong player, right? Name the professional golfer who is your toughest competition on the ping pong table.
2: It's funny. I've been off the tour for five years now, but, um, I was, we were in Tampa. They had a table and I, I'd, I'd never played Kucha. I mean, I guess he he's yeah. really good, but I, I had a game against, uh, Speeth mm. thinking, ah, this kid died. I should handle him, you know, and I, I figure he's singing the same. He sees me there with my gut hanging out, <laughs> sweating and everything. But yeah, he, he handled me pretty easily. You know, Spieth did. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, he was, good.
1: I didn't know he had it like that. Kucher's the name that gets brought up. Yeah. Have you played Freddie? <laughs> oh uh, yeah. Yach is supposed to be, doesn't it Oh yeah. Doesn't he eat
2: Kucher? My wife's got a good story. We play the world cup in Portugal and, uh, I'm playing with Trevor and, uh, Yach is playing with, uh, Henrik Stenson. And they had a little ping pong table down in the hotel. So one day we go down there and they're these two in like white shorts, <laughs> white shirts and freaking team headbands. Like Wimbledon. Playing ping pong. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, they must be pretty serious about it. But um, I've played Stenson and he's very good too. I mean, yeah, he actually beat me too. We. We had a a game in the Bahamas.
0: Duffner has the robot that hits it back and forth
2: to you. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible.
1: What's Yach do that's so good? Is he a spin guy? Is
2: he a power guy? Why is he the best? I think he just had always played. He's just, yeah. He just got it. Yeah. yeah. Golfers are good. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And I mean, I didn't play as a kid. I mean, I only took it up probably 10, 12 years ago, but... uh, it's but you're fun, nice. It's a fun game, yeah. yeah and yeah. I'm better after a few wines, for sure. You know, yeah, if, if I'm with up. a guy that's drinking with me, he's got no chance. Fair. If you got to go drink for drink... And I'll play compete, Magic if we can drink for drink. Take
1: Jordan, drink <laughs> for drink. I, I like that. See how it goes. <laughs> well, I mentioned my who
0: would play you in a movie, Danny DeVito, basically because he was the Penguin mm-hmm. in Batman. You're, mm-hmm. That's your nickname. I believe Sergio gave it to you. Right. Correct. Where would you rank your nickname, the Penguin, amongst the great golf nicknames? I mean, we've got... The golden bear, the walrus, the king. We got the seagull. Boom, boom. Charlie Hoffman. Where would you rank the penguin? Big gravy. We got all kinds of things.
2: I mean, listen, it's not right up there because to have a great nickname, you've got to have had a great game and won a lot of uh, big tournaments. But if you're looking at a nickname that Epitomizes what someone looks like walking down the fairway Mine's pretty damn good That's
0: why I think it's so great Is because <laughs> I mean you resemble it so well It's perfect
1: The flightless bird I mean the
0: walrus Perfect Seagull is great Seagull it's could very be fitting. more perfect <laughs> The penguin Which we'll get to him here In a little bit more by the way Penguin is a good that, That's fitting. perfect You got a head cover
2: mm-hmm. I head the cover
1: I like that As you should That's when you know you've made it When you got your own head cover Alright next question If you could have any job In the world Other than professional golfer What would you want to be?
2: Oh man, mm-hmm. we get deep. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a we time. get deep. On I mean, that listen, show. I remember. I remember as a kid, we had to do something in in class. It was a uh, it was a Zulu class. Believe it or not,
1: I don't know what that means. Uh-uh. Well, Zulu. How'd uh, you do in Zulu at SMU? Cool. No,
2: you no. didn't have that uh-huh. then. No. In so, a. so <laughs> at a young age, we were learning Zulu at school, and I got up there. I, you had to. I don't know what we had to do, but. I got up there and sang, I'm a little teapot in Zulu. <laughs> Can, you Zulu? What is Zulu? Can you still do it? Zulu is a language. It's a language. Oh, it's a language. It's a, it's a got language, got yeah, it's language I know. of Africa. Yeah. Yeah. Shaka Zulu. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Okay. You know no, I'm right. Yeah. Um, and it's the language that's <laughs> in my area. So I, I, I decided I was going to sing, I'm a little teapot in Zulu. Okay. But Can to Bruce Springsteen, born in the USA. Oh. Because that had just come out yeah. at that time. A little melting pot. So I'm in, I, I'm there, and one of the girls, she must have been doing something on, she had all these bangles, and I said, listen, can I please borrow, she had like an arm full of bangles on her, so I get up there, <laughs> and I sing my, I'm a little teapot in Zulu to Bruce Springsteen, and at the end, I take all these bangles, and I just threw them around the class as if I was like, I don't know, I thought it was some sort of rock star, so... I guess that's what I would like to have done if I was going to ask 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 it. Do you you still remember We'll not do that. We've had a lot of people sing on this (laughs) show. no way you don't still remember the words in Zulu. (laughs) I've I've, I've forgotten. All right, we'll do it off air. Just don't (laughs) turn the camera So do you speak Zulu? I mean, I I can... No, not (laughs) fluently. I understand words and can communicate. What about Afrikaans? Afrikaans, we studied even more so yes but again i'm not fluent but but you could get by i can understand when the guys are speaking uh in africa i know what's going on yeah. okay all right that's yeah, good yeah, trilingual here we next go here our
1: first trilingual guest all right next question what's the one thing they have in south africa that we don't have in the states that you miss the most i think you just skipped me but whatever did you did I just go twice yeah
2: oh shit well <laughs> It happens. When I first came, I mean, Biltong was, is the first thing that will come to mind, which is South African version of beef jerky where it's simply beef that's hung up to dry. It's not smoked or anything, but now you can get it here. I mean, there's even a little South African store here in town where I can go and get it now. So that would have been the biggest thing when I moved over that that I missed and really about the only thing I would say.
0: Yeah. It's pretty good over here. Hmm. All right. I mentioned earlier, seagull charlie hoffman do you enjoy taking money off him on the golf course more or in mario kart
2: well unfortunately we haven't played mario in a long time i had some battles though back in the day oh yeah that was fun and obviously always blamed the internet at the time you know for (laughs) skipping (laughs) because he'd be sitting in san diego and i'd be at home um and then when he came you know during phoenix open we'd play together and most times he did beat me so maybe there was something in his internet but uh um yeah that was fun uh Anytime you take money off Huffman, it's the best day of your life.
0: Couldn't agree more. The seagull.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, who did you play as Mario Kart? who was yeah, character? who's your guy? Oh, I switched it up.
2: No, I switched it up. Okay. Birdo. Bird. Uh.
0: Birdo. <laughs> <laughs> That's who I was going to pick for Huffman. I was like, what's the only
2: bird
1: in Mario Kart? That's funny. Birdo. Yeah, he was all a right. G. I'll go
0: ahead and ask my next one since you skipped me. Yeah, earlier, you can figure it out. All right. Other than Tiger, because mm-hmm. he doesn't count, who was the most impressive player you ever played with on the PJ Tour?
2: rory like not even a question and it was just one round i mean i i didn't play with him much i played but the round that comes to mind is uh that first round at the british open in what was that 10 i believe 2010 i think um we paired the first round he shot like 64 and hit shots you know you play with tiger he hit shots you're like no one's got that Mm -hmm. and i had that same thing playing with rory he he hit it Shot in 17, the pins just over that bunker. Um, which you know, for me, I'm coming in again with a long iron. And he's hit this drive over the hotel and you know, 165 or 170 yard nine iron that's backed up to the hole. And I was just Just like, throw it over the road hole bunker and said, Yeah, so here we are. And um, and then I had the lovely fortune of playing him at the match play after I beat Tiger. Mm. that's how I got to face the next round. Mm, and, perfect. Yeah, here's, your re- here's your, here's yeah. your reward. And he took care of me pretty good. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're awesome.
1: probably the answer. If we ask that question to him. All right, next question. I'm back up again. All right. Your house, the barn, as it's referred to is burning down. You have time to save one bottle of wine, one bourbon and one piece of golf memorabilia. What are you coming out of the house with? The
2: wine's an easy one. It's a, uh, Chateau Margaux that was given to me um, by Mr. Drew Brown, who um, was part of DMB that built Silverleaf. Mm-hmm. When I won the players, he gave me that bottle of wine. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And I'm just waiting. Uh, one day I'm going to drink it with him. So it's still there. Um, uh, yeah, what Bergen? kind of occasion do you have to have? Yeah, to I was about to say, what's, what's it like just needs to come for to grill, yeah? really. Yeah. Right, Nothing well, special. Just for a little <laughs> bra. <bribe. laughs> a little bribe. <laughs> um Bourbon. I've only been into the bourbon for a, a year now, and um, I've collected some good bottles. Um, but right now, my absolute tastiest bottle that I have is El 100-year anniversary.
1: I don't even know. They made it's 100-year-old try, bourbon.
2: It's, uh, well, it's not 100 years old. It's oh, just okay. the name they gave it. Um, but anyway, that's, that's the, the tastiest thing I have. And golf memorabilia. Oh, man.
1: This is where it gets tough, I feel like.
2: Unfortunately, it might not even be a golf memorabilia thing. I've got a signed football, soccer ball, as you will, um, by Nelson Mandela in my house. Oh shit! So that would probably be. Oh, that's, yeah. Unfortunately, you know, all my things will burn down. But uh, your player's trophy's
1: toast, but you'll have the yeah. Mandela football. Yeah.
0: Well, let's. This isn't my next question, but let's, because I know you're a huge meat griller guy, and to pair with that chateau, what would you go with? I have. I'm feeling it's gonna be your lamb
2: you know I, I like my lamb but one of the best things i do know is uh, skirt steak
0: mm. on the big green egg uh,
2: nope, I nope. Got, i've got the big old wood-fired guy there the bricero grill which is the argentinian style mm. um, and this all came to us we used to play in miami for the the Durrell event and there was a little um, argentinian steakhouse there in the strip mall yes, and it was always the best meals of the year was in there and. I told all the South guys about it, and before long, every night would be the same guys. And VJ was in there every night too, um, and Cabrera. And uh, but uh-huh. simple skirt steak on a wood-fired grill with some chimichurri. That's much better than that.
0: If Tim Clark ever invites you over to the <laughs> barn for a meal,
1: you go because the food is unbelievable. <laughs> I feel like you start a little bistro at your house for a little secondary business if you wanted.
2: Yeah, I enjoy cooking. I enjoy, cook, yeah. I enjoy on the weekends, you know, having people over. If there's sports on, we'll watch some sports. Get the 80s music pumping. You love the 80s um, music. We'll teapot. Yep. Yeah. Zulu. We'll teapot Zulu.
0: <laughs> All right, last question. You mentioned earlier, you stepped to the tee on 17th Sunday at TPC Sawgrass. You don't re- re- really remember much. Would you say you remember more about that tee shot or the night celib- the night you- after you won?
2: Uh, no, no. Uh, I remember the night because we didn't actually get to That's do much. That's very disappointing. <laughs> I, I was hoping
0: you really partied hard.
2: Because, I mean, you end up being at the club for like two, three hours afterwards. I mean, you're doing this, that. Uh, so by the time it was time to get out of there, we went. I went to clean out my locker. Uh, my wife, Candace was with me. And then we walked in. You walk through the, the locker room, and Lee Westwood was still in there. So I actually, I had a drink with Lee, who was... You know right there with a the chance to win the tournament it was very gracious of him and uh had a drink with him and then i think we were staying in the hotel across right right there the, the merit the, yeah. the so we went there got changed and then went to, straight across the street to the group of little restaurants down mm-hmm. there and met up with some of the guys but no it was a pretty quiet night very disappointing unfortunately. yeah so, so you that's cool you to, to stick around like that too. though yeah, yeah. That's I d- class. Yeah, I d- I didn't, I, I'm I sure it wasn't purely just to see me and have a drink with me. He just uh, wanted you to buy him but a drink. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> with your 1.7 <laughs> million. He, but dollars. he was in there, and, um, yeah, we, we we sat down. And, um, I've always enjoyed him. I mean, you know, and uh, obviously to see him playing so well last week too was, was pretty fun. Really cool. He's well, this it, has man. been
0: really cool for us, Tim. Yes. I really appreciate you sitting down with us.
2: No, thanks.
1: Thank you, Timmy. You
0: got it. All right, well, that was Tim Clark. It's a blast sitting down with him. It was so cool. I mean, he was a part of one of the greatest President's Cups in uh,
1: ever. Yeah, dude. I mean, probably the most memorable President's yeah. Cup, at least from my perspective. That's one of the things I wanted to get into him with him. I remember when Tiger and Ernie were going into that playoff, and I was like, can you imagine a more pressure pack? I mean, Tiger, clearly, both those guys can handle it, and they did handle it. They both made some massive putts in that thing. But playing for your whole like the, the internationals playing for the rest of the world, basically Tiger playing for the entire U S and the cup lives or dies on, on your performance on what, what could be one hole. I'm not a big fan of things ending in ties, but also that format was like, all right, it was getting too dark to even keep playing. Yeah. You don't want to come back the next day. And it's like, all right, should two guys really decide? I don't know. But it was one of the most pressure, but it was a, I was glued to the television. That was an unbelievable president's cup.
0: It wasn't here's a guy. I mean, I believe he played in three presidents cup, never sat out a match. I mean, he was the bulldog of the international team. Um, had, a, had a really good record. He's one of those guys that, I mean, I think just gets forgot about He's because he's not the flashiest of players. doesn't hit it that far. Um, you know, use the long putter. But he had a hell of a career. I mean, it's just unfortunate um, with all the injuries that he had.
1: Yeah, he was close to winning a bunch of them. And I think, I mean, we know he won the players. That's the that's the pinnacle. But how impressive is it that a guy like Tim Klein, I mean, you played a lot of golf with him. I played with him. You see how far he hits it. Doesn't move it very far at all, but he's precise with everything. But finishing a runner-up at Augusta hitting the uh, the clubs that he had to be hitting into those par fours and like a number one he's probably in the middle of the hill guys are blowing it up top and things like that you have to be so so good with everything else in your bag from driver to putter to even sniff around that leaderboard for him to finish second there I honestly think that might be one of the most the, the... sawgrass is a place you could see him playing really sure. well and he did Augusta is not a place you would pick and be like oh Tim Clark will probably be, be good around there
0: he was just one of those guys that I just don't think he cared what the venue was he was going to go out and play his game I mean um, you know, he he finished second to Bubba Watson at the HSBC over in China. Absolutely hated the place. Didn't didn't like it all. Hit three wood into the first hole, and he's like, "Why am I even here right now?" Ends up should have won. Bubba Watson robbed one from me from him. But he was a guy that just when, whenever the moment got big, it seemed like he really really showed up. I um, mean, he had eight runners runner up before he got his first PGA Tour win. Ended up with two PGA Tour wins total so far. I mean, correct. You never know he could he could make a comeback. But the injuries have really. Really slowed his career down, which is unfortunate, but had a blast sitting down talking with him.
1: Yeah, the injuries sidelined him unfortunately, and also the putter, the, the long putter band. That he's the guy that took the biggest hit on that because he literally has the, the physical, you know, impairment where he can't it, it really can't putt mm-hmm. like a like a standard way. So that affected him more than anything, which is a tough thing when you've played your entire basically since college on with one style of putting and they're like oh by the way you can't do that anymore. Yeah, that's hard. All Whether right. you like the rule or yep. not.
0: Thanks to Tim Clark for sitting down with us. It's so, Lace, It's time to get to the gambling portion. Somebody made a move last week. It was almost a really, really big I mean, it was a big We're move. But a it massive, was still massive. Almost a move. really big move. Producer Mark, give us a little update on the one and done standings.
2: Yeah, so Slees, you had Patrick Cantley last week, a T18, good for $113,700. <laughs> Meanwhile, Colt Scotty Scheffler started the event at 40 to 1 odds to win the whole thing, found himself in the. Uh, championship on Sunday and brought home with a second place finish $1,150,000 good for a lead of $1,119,454. Now we're going.
1: That's that's a tough one. When you eclipse the million mark that's uh, a million and Yeah, deficit. but if you
0: yeah. You pick a winner and I miss a cut, you're right back in it. That's
1: how this thing goes. It, I don't care if you miss four cuts in a row, you pick a winner a runner up, especially to WGC, like things flip quickly, but uh just like normal, start off slow, coming out the gate slow and also can't lay man after two rounds. This is a hard one to pick, dude. This like, is this impossible. We're I got trying to dude, look I'll it. be honest.
0: I got so lucky. I was just like, here's a guy who's played the golf course a bunch. I yeah. think he's a really good player. Let's see what happens.
1: Yeah, that was a good pick cuz like he's played at UT, he's going to know this yeah. player way around that place and he's just a hell of a player. But I went through looking at every single pod. I was like, where's the easy one? There isn't one. So then I went with a guy that I probably won't pick for a major, but one of them in the next big one. Can't lay. After two matches, I think he shot nine under, six under in his first two. I was like, I did, I did it. I picked the guy that's probably playing the best golf on property right now. This is going to be great. Ends up losing to Hideki, losing a playoff, and then phew, done for the rest of the week. It's a hard one to pick, but in hindsight, going with the local guy, local knowledge, all that. Uh, good one. I got my work cut out.
0: Yeah, you do. I mean, like you said, this, this week was so hard to pick. I mean, you, you... – would you have been confident saying Justin Thomas isn't going to make it out of his pot? I mean, Scotty Scheffler's in a group with Xander Shoffley and Jason Day. Jason yeah. Day's a past champion. Xander Shoffley, one of the best players in the world. And I'm like, okay, just I need
1: someone to get out of this, out of the group. you got to get them yeah. out of the group. And there's just not an easy one. Or, D, or uh, Rory getting just dump trucked mm-hmm. in round one. Like, there's just weird stuff happens when you put the top 64 players in the world and play 18 holes. So well, of, it's yeah. a hard one to get through.
0: Of course, I make a big move when it's all about luck. But now it's back to skill. You'll probably catch me. Oof. We got the Valero Texas Open. One of the Oh, you you know, PJ National's kind of your nightmare. This the TPC San you got, Antonio. Is this one you? I wouldn't. I, me and this place didn't get along too well.
1: This place a monster. Yes, when the wind blows, is, like it always. If does. the wind
0: blows, it is very very difficult. But we got a really strong field. Dustin Johnson's in the field. Jordan Spieth. Um, you know everybody prepping for the Masters. So this is going to be an interesting week. I have the honor.
1: Your Honor, since, Your Honor. Since
0: after the the seven figure payday by my man Scotty Scheffler this week, Valero Texas Open, a golf course that really really demands good ball striking in my opinion you know it's a tough driving golf course like you said if the wind gets blowing it's tough we see a lot of the same guys play well here each year one of those being Billy Horschel the winner this past week
1: Good forward to take a week off yes after that payday
0: for me this week I'm going with a guy who's playing some of the best golf of his career he's a veteran he's made 10 straight cuts he's got a sixth and a fourth in his career at TPC San Antonio like I said some of the best golf of his career I really like it I'm gonna stick with team Randy Smith as well the swing coach I'm gonna go with Ryan Palmer
1: Right, the heart. 33 hot hand. to 1. I like that. I also think there's an art to playing, like a guy that, that lives in Texas, plays, in, you're used to this type of wind. It's not abnormal to play in 25 mile an hour winds. You get some of the West Coast guys like you and I out here. If it blows more than 15, I'm like, nope. No golf for me. Don't so, say you and I. Okay, I, for I, me. I'm fine with the wind. If it blows more than eight, I'm out of there, but that's a good pick. He was on my very, very short list. I'm going to go with, I typically don't like to do this. So I'm going to go with the defending champ. It was not 2019 the last time he won, but he's a six betting favorite, 22 to 1. Corey Connors. Okay. Coming at him. Love him. I like him for all the reasons you just said. You just said how hard the ball striking golf course it is. It is that. Corey Connors, T to Green, is elite. Really, really good. Putter, sometimes it could use a little tweak here and there, but he's like I said, he's he's a defending champ. Last two stroke play play events, Arnold Palmer and the players, third and seventh. Top 10 in four of his last eight events and top 20 in six of his last eight. So TPC San Antonio, tough, tough, T to Green. I don't typically like picking defending champs, but this game suits it so well. If he can just have a little little, uh, a little a bit of a week on the greens, I think he'll at least have a good week.
0: This is a very important week as far as our bet is concerned because you, you want to have the honor heading big. into Augusta.
1: Because we're going to have – there's four or five names. I mean, there's still some wiggle room there, but, yeah, we're going to be aligned on a lot of the guys you like yeah. going into Augusta. So even if it's a 35th versus a 40th, having the honor, big deal.
0: Yeah, and our guest next week is going to be one of the favorites at Augusta National. He's our first repeat guest on Golf Subpar. He's number three in the world. John Romm will be joining us for a special master's edition of Golf Subpar.
1: Yes, Johnny Boy, the Spaniard, back in the building. Our first guest of all time. Ever. Over a year ago, when we launched this thing, Johnny Rom strolled in here, put on a clinic, actually rapped a little bit to Kendrick Lamar. Uh could tweak that up a little bit, maybe tighten that. But this is gonna be fun talking with John the week before he goes out there. Got a baby on the way, a lot of stuff going on in his life. Johnny Rahm gets the honor of the first ever repeat guest on Subpar.
0: All right. Well, later this week, we got a very special treat for everyone. Check out our YouTube page, our social media pages. We are going to be releasing the video of Sleaze on Ice.
1: This is it. Could be up for an Oscar nod. Best documentary of the year. I, I'm looking forward to see it because I was so in the zone. You know when I lock in. I lock in. I got tunnel vision. I had the blinders on. I didn't see a lot was going on on my periphery. But it's going to be fun.
0: I can't wait. It's going <laughs> to be a gonna blast. Be, I'm going to
1: look like an idiot.
0: Everyone go check it out, and we'll talk to you on next week's Golf Subpar.